you're a fan of Excellence Expected, and you already know the power of podcasting. You know that it's second to none in building trust. You know that it's second to none in engaging with an audience. And you know that it can help you to create a tribe of loyal fans for your small business. Today, I'd like to introduce you to a company called The Podcast Host, created by my great friend, Mr. Colin Gray. A company that helps anyone, including you, to start their own show. Whether you want to learn to craft fantastic audio through their online courses or actually let them take care of the entire process with their end-to-end production services, all you need to do is do the presenting, send them your plain, mistake-filled audio, and they will do the rest. There is no technical knowledge required at all on your behalf. And, because Colin and I get along so well, I've secured an amazing deal for you as a listener of Excellence Expected that is going to give you a huge 50% off your first month. So head to thepodcasthost.com forward slash excellence and use the code EXEX to take advantage today. Excellence Expected, the inspirational business advice podcast. Hey, 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 guys. Welcome to another episode of Excellence Expector with me, Mark Asquith. Now, the internet has become such, such, such a staple part of all our lives. We rely on it for so many things, whether that is cloud storage, whether it's connecting with friends, colleagues, or anyone else from across the world using social networks, or even whether it's watching TV via something like Netflix. The internet, the web has just become a part of our lives. But what about the dark side of it? What about the areas of the web that frankly aren't safe? What about things that we just aren't aware of? And in particular, things that can cause our small businesses severe problems. That is what we're going to define, challenge and conquer today. How you can stay safe online using some tried and tested best practice methods. Now, joining me today to help with this is someone who is a real expert in this field, someone who is an absolute specialist in computer network security, and someone who is a reader in computer science and a group leader for the Ambient Intelligence Research Group at Ulster University. Gives me great, great pleasure to welcome to the show, Dr. Kevin Curran. How are you doing, sir? I'm fine. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. You are very welcome. You are very welcome. So tell us a little bit about your background. Whereabouts did you come from? What's the sort of background to you? How did you end up in computer network security? Yeah, I've been a computer scientist. Uh, I went to college and I studied computers. The first time I seen a computer, I was 15 years of age and it happened to be belonging to a guy called Seamus McFadden. And it turns out that Seamus McFadden is a first cousin of Brian McFadden who was famously in Westlife and also uh, ex-husband of Kerry Katona. <laughs> I remember it well from the early 2000s. <laughs> and um, so actually, I just, I just knew what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Up until then, I was a real terror in school. I had no discipline whatsoever. But from that moment on, I wanted to go to college and study computers. And, and I'm just blessed because... I often have taught students in the past who didn't really know what they wanted to do, but just went into computers because someone said it was what to do. But So I'm very fortunate that I found what I love doing and have been doing it for over 30 years. Do you know, I can, I can resonate so much with that. That, that, that really, 
I think it's quite an interesting point that you make. You know, I wanted to go into computers. Do, do you sort of remember like the late 90s, early 2000s? That, that's when I found it really, really prominent was that sort of computers was this overarching thing. You know, oh, I work with computers and I swear that my grand still thinks that I work with computers, despite a computer being simply a tool that I use. And, you know, there was that whole shift into quote unquote working in computers. So what made you focus on the security side of things? That's a very niche specialism, isn't it, within computing? I got into security because I, my research is in computer networks and I teach computer networks and system security at the Ulster University. And to really understand security, you have to understand how networks work, how packets get from one machine to the other, how the internet works, and how to defend your machine. And I've been doing media in security for about 10 years now. And actually, my media career started because I was on the front page of the Belfast Telegraph, the local newspapers, on the BBC web portal, because I'd done a piece of research which I had highlighted how insecure wireless networks were. We had published the paper. We had it released, and I'd been working in that field for many years. I thought no more of it, so did the press office. We released the issue, and it really took the media um, in the UK by storm. And I ended up being on the front page with this hacker broke into 15 networks in one afternoon. And, uh, you know, I wanted the earth to swallow me up. But um, eventually I got through that period. And, of course, since then, and it's increasing, um, my phone rings and I get a lot of emails on a daily basis from journalists asking me to comment on the latest vulnerabilities in security. So that's really how it started. Where has that led you then? Where has that taken you? What opportunities has that brought? I'm really curious about that. Well, you know, I've gone further into wireless network security. You know, I, I constantly show my students um, really how insecure public Wi-Fi is over the years, um, and it still is. Um, I've had research in that area. I've had PhD students working on security products and security, you know, just research into secure networks. Um, it, it's, just, it's just something I've, do, I've done now for many, many years, and, and I, go, I just... Um, I find it exciting. I mean, there's a lot of people out there who think they understand security, but when it really comes to it, they don't have the, the bottom-up foundation, really, which you have to have. And it helps me the fact that I'm teaching constantly. So I have, to, I have to read the latest blogs. I have to read the latest books coming out. And I constantly have to go back over my theory. And every time I read even the classic textbooks, I learn something. Um, but again, within that field of course, security, I, I've had a particular interest in wireless security for many, many years. And that's very interesting as well, because so many people, I mean, you know, so many businesses and, you know, in the public domain, the way that we're sort of walking through cities and towns and we're connected to all these different networks, that's something that I don't personally know as much about as I should do. So what what are some of the things that people just aren't aware of then? This is something I'm really curious about. What are some of the things that people just take for granted that, or that they aren't aware of that, you know, if they did know them, would really, really startle them? Well, if, if you take public Wi-Fi, for instance, your phone, when you log on to your, onto a public network, you've often seen connect every time. Your phone, for instance, will memorize the name of the wireless hotspot. So it'll be maybe Starbucks, it'll be whatever your home router is, whatever else. And it stores those Wi-Fi names. So next time you go into a public Wi-Fi access spot, it's looking for that, or you're out in public, it's looking to connect to the names that it already knows. So all I have to do is set up a rogue access point, and I can give it the name of something that you've logged on to before, but also I can broadcast out 100, 200, 300 names and keep collecting all the names that your phone has already stored. And whenever you come into the vicinity of my rogue 
wireless network access point, I can grab those names of your phone and rebroadcast them. Your phone then just sees that here is an access point I've connected to before and there is no authentication. It will reconnect. And once you reconnect and your phone thinks that it's on the legitimate hotspot, then I can snoop your traffic because I am what you call a man in the middle. And your browsing, your browsing habits, if you go into online banking or you go through anything at all, I can capture what you do. And public Wi-Fi is so much more insecure than it is if you're at home because you're using an encrypted connection. It's just so much more difficult for me to sniff that. Or if you're at work, you're using an encrypted connection or you're on a wireless LAN or on a, on a wired LAN. But public Wi-Fi is something you have to treat differently. So therefore, you would try never to do your public banking or anything sensitive on there. Just do things like surfing the web or whatever else if you have to. But of course, there's also a best practice again. You would... What we would say, people should use what we call virtual private network, VPN software, which completely encrypts your connection from you to the online world. So therefore, even if you're using a public Wi-Fi network and someone is in the middle of you, that your connection is connected. But people are unaware, really, of how insecure a public Wi-Fi access point can be. It's unbelievable when you think about it because it's just it's completely completely taken over you know that in the town centers that i frequent you, you often see just free town center wi-fi and you know that's that's a big old distance that's a big radius that it can connect to my phone from within and it's quite scary to think that through and when i when i sort of think about from the business perspective what does that what does that open us up to so as an example you know i'm a business person i run a couple of businesses using my iphone or my tablet my ipad what does that open me up to if I'm using a public network to jump on and say, I don't know, quickly check some business emails? What's the potential damage that can be done? Well, the potential damage is that someone is snooping on your traffic, that someone is sitting in Starbucks and they're running either a wireless access point with hardware, which they're easily obtainable online and you can run them from a battery, or they're using their laptop to be a man in the middle and they've set that up. So you don't really, really know if that access point is a true Starbucks access point or someone claiming to be Starbucks. It's unbelievable, really. And what about if we flip it around the other way? What about if we are a business? So if we are a small coffee shop or we are a small business that wants to provide some kind of quote-unquote public Wi-Fi, what can we do to stop that happening on our network? How can we secure that for our customers? Well, simply use encryption and have a password that you have to give to your customers. And they have to ask you, even if it's on a chalkboard, that's fine. But just simply use encryption and don't use an open access network like many of the public Wi-Fi hotspots do. That's interesting. So very simple measures as well, but something that people yes. can very, very quickly and easily overlook. And from a consumer's perspective, from someone that wants to log on to that, you know, is there any... Are there any apps out there? Are there any kind of VPN bits of software we can use very, very easily and quickly on our phones that don't necessarily detract from that experience of making things quicker? You know, can we get hold of this software pretty easily? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of free VPN clients out there. I mean, some of the better ones you have to. But I use one called Hotspot Shield, for instance, and, and it, it's fine. There's, there's lots of them. It's, um, you can get a free version, but for very little, maybe £7 a month, you can get... Um, get so many extra services um, and they're quite useful they come into their own as well I'd say to people they pay for themselves because quite often you go online and you want to see something like Saturday Night Live a clip from it and you go to click on it and you find that up comes the pop-up box saying this content is not available in your country 
But if you use a VPN, you can you can make your destination as if you're surfing from anywhere in the United States or somewhere else, and it opens up content from around the world like that. You can use services like Hulu and um, Netflix and other things which are barred. Even if you're abroad, you could use um, the BBC iPlayer, for instance. So a lot of these things pay for themselves just for being able to access content in different countries. That's very interesting. That is very interesting, actually. That That's something that uh, I never thought of. I do remember using something similar to switch my Netflix over to the US servers to get the X-Files back in the day. What what a geek. And uh, I, <laughs> I remember it worked beautifully for about seven seasons and then stopped working. So I was three seasons out and it was possibly the most frustrating thing I'd ever come across, Kevin. So yeah, I'm uh, into the VPN side of things. So let's switch this into a business perspective. So from the perspective of a user, you know, we are small business owners, we are entrepreneurs, and we perhaps have, you know, there's so many things going on. We've got three or four different Macs or PCs running the business and, you know, we're skipping between them all of the time. What are some of the things that we are generally terrible at when it comes to security? What are the things that we just make easy for people? Yeah, I mean, the number one thing we would say is to update Keep your software updated and your operating system updated. Vulnerabilities happen all the time and exploits are released all the time. They're out there on the web, on the dark web, and the bad guys are using them. But the likes of Microsoft and Apple and Google and all the giants are not asleep. They're also aware of these things and they've got fantastic security teams. So in the background, they are trying scrambling, and so are the, obviously the security companies like McAfee, Trend Micro, all these. They're scrambling to fix these, to patch them, then to release the updates. And they come usually what we call Microsoft, generally do it on the second Tuesday of every month called Patch Tuesday. You get the update and it asks you to install it. Most of the time, those updates are blocking those latest exploits. And that is crucial to having a more secure computer because the hackers inevitably will move to what we call the low-hanging fruit. They will move on to the older operating systems out there like XP and Windows Vista and all the ones which people are not updating. So the more up-to-date your operating system is, the more up-to-date your Adobe Reader is, your Skype software, everything else, the harder it is for the hackers to gain a foothold into your computer. So the number one thing is to always update the software when it comes to you from the software vendors and your operating system vendor. That's something I'll be completely honest that so many people I see, you know, I see people just all around the place looking at, okay, and I'll just hide that notification. I'll hide that notification. And I'm a little bit, I'm one of those people, Kevin, I don't like notifications. So the minute it comes up, I must get rid of it. And so I think, thankfully, my slight OCD on that front keeps me up to date with things. But I know so many people that that just just don't do that. And is that the same for things like iOS devices and for Android devices? So, you know, the, the things that we carry around and take for granted. Absolutely. They're no different. They have to be updated as well. And the older the Android device operating system is on your mobile the more vulnerabilities out there which exist. The older your iOS operating system is, the less secure it is. I can explain it this way. So therefore, whenever Microsoft releases a patch, and say tomorrow they release a patch for Windows 10, the bad guys, the expert groups, the nation espionage teams, will what we call reverse engineer that patch. They will look to see what was changed in what service, because Microsoft will document what are the things which are patched. 
you know, they don't make this a secret because it affects many IT departments. They literally document which services have been fixed in the latest vulnerabilities. Then the bad guys will be looking through this list and they'll go down through it and they'll look at maybe a service and the service could be called XYZ and they go, oh my God, that is interesting. They have fixed this. I wonder what was wrong with it. And they will reverse it to see what changed from last week's version to this week's. Then they will look back on a previous version of Windows, maybe Windows 7. Well, they'll look back, for instance, to Windows XP. Windows XP, the updates have stopped from Microsoft. So Microsoft have stopped updating Windows XP. So if that vulnerability exists in Windows XP and the guys can spot this and see that that service was running on Windows XP, well, then your Windows XP machine is vulnerable to that update. In other words, Windows XP will get more and more vulnerabilities appearing because it is not being patched anymore. So therefore, the owner of the operating system, like I said, the more vulnerabilities are out there, and that's where the hackers will congregate. The longer people keep running that operating system, running ones like it, which are older, the more chance they have of getting a foothold into those computers. And quite often, again, these computers are using business, an awful lot of businesses run XP still because it's such a pain for them to upgrade. There's been cutbacks in the last few years in business. Businesses are one of the last, the last organizations to ever upgrade. It's generally the home users who generally move on to the latest operating system. So therefore, businesses are very susceptible to, to vulnerabilities on older operating systems. Yeah, I think it's something that I, I see very often, especially in, you know, sort of large institutions, if you like, NHS and councils. They just stay on old, old software for such a such a long time. And it yeah, it, it can be quite interesting. What what do they tend to do, just as a bit of a side note, what do they tend to do when they do run things like XP that are, you know, obsolete in terms of updates? Do they do they patch them themselves? How do they run that? Or do they just take the risk? They just take the risk. I mean Wow. There, is a, there is a subset of Windows XP which still gets updates. These are the companies who pay a lot of money for it. Uh, most of the world's ATMs to some, in parts of the world run on Windows XP and embedded Windows XP. Um, some of the large organizations pay for it, but no, they literally take a chance. They can update individual apps, but no, Microsoft have stopped updating it, so therefore they're running at a risk. They're taking a risk by running an operating system which is no longer actively being patched by the vendor. Wow, that's unbelievable. Let's just switch things up a second then, because every time I go to a conference, a tech conference in particular, there is someone talking about security, network security and web security and so on. And obviously one of the biggest questions that people have that I'd love to just pick up and one that you must just get asked every day is passwords. What can we do? Tell me a little bit about passwords. You know, what can we do to actually make a secure password? Because there's so much conflicting advice out there. What's the realistic kind of life scenario with a password? What makes a good one? What makes a terrible one? Okay. What makes a good password is one which is not found in any dictionary. A bad password is any password which is found in a dictionary online and it's the usual ones which are found in all the brute force dictionary hackers like the 123456 password, 123 password, etc. So therefore, what I can say is there are Password dictionaries, which are used to brute force passwords. Okay, and there's password dictionaries online and sites online like cloudcracker.com, where you can upload even a hashed um, password, and it will go through this brute force dictionary and find what the matching plain text is for this gobbledygook, this encrypted password. Every 
page on Wikipedia and the majority of the pages on the internet have all been parsed and the individual words have been extracted and input into these dictionaries which are used for brute force. Even if you think you're being smart and you use words like Klingon or use French words and any other language you can think of, they are already in the dictionary. Now, of course, these brute force dictionaries, so when a hacker generally downloads a, um, a database from a website, and it's a website that's been compromised and there's millions of these all the time being downloaded every day, on passwords, that is, they will run their software against these to try to get out the weakest passwords. So therefore, they, they don't start with A1, AA, A2, A3, and that's, they start with the frequently used passwords. So they have all of them stored, they have wonderful algorithms, then they start to get a bit more complex, and they do, of course, get the password 1, password 2, password 1, 1, and they move up. And they also have all the rules in these brute force and dictionaries. So they know that when you use dollar dollar instead of S, they know to do that. They know to use zero instead of zero, or uh, uh, like a, um, the zero instead of the O in, in a word. They know to put the numbers at the end. They know that everyone puts the capital letters when they have to at the start. They know all the tricks we use. And er unfortunately, every time a, a, a large password dictionary online or a password file online gets compromised, that adds to the hacker's knowledge. So therefore, really, the only way to, to get around it is to have long passwords because that increases the brute force. Because again, they're going to start off with the six letters, the seven, the eight, the nine, 14 letters up. You know, anything above 20 is quite good. But of course, if it's gobbledygook, the better. Even if you're putting together some words, some words together, that's better than just nothing. But the best things, the best password is one you cannot remember. So therefore, that, you know, that sounds crazy, but the way you do that is you use what we call a password manager. A password manager can create individual passwords for all, all your sites, and it can create very long, complex passwords, ones that you could never remember, and all you have to do is remember one good password for your password manager. So by using a password manager, that enables you to use very, very long cryptic passwords, unguessable, on all your passwords, all your sites. And again, the best practice is never repeat a password on more than one site. Because if one account that you go to, like Facebook or Twitter, is compromised and they download the password against your name, then they can try to move on to other websites and use that password against that website. And inevitably, it will work. Some of the biggest doxins things we've seen, that's when you get someone's account and you move to other ones have been where people have used the same password and all their social media and all the bank accounts and everything else. So again, password managers are very good, and the more complex a password is, just the, the better it is. A bit of a devil's advocate question on that. What happens if the password manager gets hacked? Well, you know, of course, the password and that should be very long. The password manager, if someone, if someone is on your machine and can see your password manager, well, then they're at the local machine. But no, it eradicates the fact that you're, any of your passwords leaking from an online site. Uh, but there's nothing to stop someone getting, being on your computer and seeing what you type into your password manager and then copying that. But no, it's just so much more safer. Yeah, it's an extra line defense. Yeah, it's fantastic. I, I admit I use LastPass myself. I think it's fantastic. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's become a real lifesaver for me as well. It just gets you into things that you use once a year and never need to remember the password of as well. So, yeah, I, I think it's really useful. And, Kevin, what we're going to do now is just switch a gear a second. So for anyone that is wanting to up their security, and I think, obviously, 
all of us should be mindful of this. What we're going to do is take a step into the excellence expected actionable takeaways section. So if we may, let's dig into actionable tip number one, please, sir. If you didn't go looking for it, do not install it. Interesting. What I'm saying, yes, what that um, rule really means is that a lot of the trouble people get into, a lot of the people who download the latest ransomware, which encrypts your files, you have to pay, you have to pay a Bitcoin ransom to un- undo it. A lot of the viruses that get into people's computers are where people have sent them malware or they visited a site which was in effect what we would call cross-site scripting or a reflected XSS attack, where someone had put malware on the site and that they've clicked on something and downloaded software and then that has infected their machine. Because really, why did you download that? You weren't looking for it. So in other words, only install what you go deliberately looking for. If someone, if it, even if you come across a website and it looks like this is McAfee antivirus and that's what you run on your machine, don't click on that. Come out of that tab, go to a new tab and type in McAfee antivirus and then look to see what the first link is, you know, and it should be McAfee antivirus and go to that website and then install it. But don't install a piece of software which appears in an email link or in your browser just because it looks like the real thing. Because, of course, the, you know, the, the, the virus writers, the, the, the bad guys out there will try to get by every means possible to try to get you to click on software and download it on your machine so that they can get root access to your machine. It's the phishing ones that get me, Kevin. You know, the uh, the ones that are supposedly from, quote-unquote, PayPal. And, I mean, things are getting really advanced now. You've really got to just, that advice that you gave there, open a new tab, log into your own PayPal account manually, using your password manager, you know, go through that whole really rigorous checking process. Don't click anything in the email. It, it baffles me how advanced these things are becoming. Yeah, and that's the unfortunate thing about some of the breaches of late, even the talk talk breach, where they might not have got credit card numbers, but what they did get was a lot of details and a lot of people with their addresses, their phone numbers, their personal details. Um, so therefore, phishing attacks and phishing emails can be sent to these people saying, look, at, sorry, um, we've had a problem with your talk talk account. Please click here to log in or otherwise we will take, um, we will take a payment or you owe us money. And of course, again, just like you're saying, you're right, PayPal is always, it's, it's a great one for them. Anything to do with money because we're all busy in our daily lives. We're running around and on Monday morning, an email comes in and you're, you're in a bit of a worry and you see PayPal or you see your bank's name in there and all, you really worry something has happened and you want to take care of it and you click and before you know it, you've installed something or you've been to a website which infects you. Um, and we're all vulnerable to that. Again, it's that thing that, that the that thing really never click on a link in an email leave the tab and go and open up the website separately yeah very important really important and let's dig in kevin to actionable tip number two please if you've installed it update it so therefore if you've installed a piece of software and up comes a notification that there's an update for it then update it really you just got to update your software there's a reason for it it's either fixing a flaw, it's fixing a bug, or more than likely, it's fixing a vulnerability that the, that the software team are, are, are aware of, and they want you to be up to date, because they have no reason otherwise to send you that update. But really, if you installed it, then update it. That's something we can all get better at as well. Just You need to just be 
completely annoyed by the notifications like I am. Guys, that works a treat. Keeps me up at night. <laughs> That's not a lie either, Kevin. That is not a lie. So let's dig into the third and final actionable tip, please. If you no longer need it, remove it. So again, quite often I get up and the, the first thing I say in my system security class is, if you want to be safe online, don't buy a computer. <laughs> if you must buy a computer, don't turn it on. And if you do turn it on, only turn it on for 15 minutes at a time. Now, of course, I'm being joke, jokey about that, but there's a little bit of wisdom in there. In other words, the lesser time you spend online, the less likely you, likely you are to visit a bad website or to get infected. The less time you spend visiting multiple websites, the less likely you are to get a Trojan on your machine, the less likely you are to get spammed, everything that goes with that. In other words, you're reducing your footprint. There is people I know who keep one computer only and they just use that for their banking. That They don't do anything else on there. That's the only thing to do and I can see why they do that. But if you no longer need pieces of software and you've gone into your, into your control panel, you've gone to remove programs, you go down through it on a regular basis, and if you haven't used it for a long, long time and you don't need to use it again, just remove it because that software quite likely sometimes is running in the background, running the task manager. It might have some port open onto the internet and it's just another way for the bad guys to get in again. So why do that? Why even use memory on your computer for any reason? Just remove it. And it just makes sense to have the most reduced footprint on your machine that you can have. And then that will close some of the, the, the loopholes that you just did not know about. Yeah, that's something, again, I think something that everyone can get better. At. I know I can get better at that one. It's quite a curious one because when you, you sort of go through fits and starts with this one, and it's, it's very rarely from a security perspective from my, my side, it's very much, okay, let's speed the old computer up, shall we? And there's something on there that you downloaded four years ago and have never never ever opened since and you're right it's it, it, very often things are running when you try and uninstall them it says actually you need to shut the task down and it's amazing to see what is running so i think that is really useful advice kevin i have learned so much from that and that's actually i'm a geek kevin sure. i like i am the biggest geek so that has been so so interesting we should do a follow-up chat about something else in the security world as well because i think so many people can benefit from that so thank you so much for that and we're just about to put a pin in the episode. But before we wrap, where can people connect with you online, please? Well, they can Google Kevin Kerr and Ulster University, and I should appear number one in the search engine. Um, they can also get me on Dr. Kevin Curran on Twitter. And the last thing, Mark, I would say is for people, there is one fantastic website. It's called haveibeenpwned.com. So have, H-I-V-E-I-B-E-E-N, but the last word is P-W-N-E-D, haveibeenpwned.com. That website exists to tell you if your email address has been in any of the large database breaches online where passwords have been leaked. And it's run by a genuine researcher. It's, it's one of the genuine sites. Don't trust the other ones because they can be just capturing your emails. What that will tell you is whether or not any of your email accounts have been hacked in the past by some of these large data breaches. He uploads the millions of breaches, passwords, which have been leaked on a daily basis. And also, it gives you one other service, which I recommend to your listeners, is to go there and enter your email and ask to be notified in the future, should your email address be associated with a future breach, because that gives you a heads up of one of your email addresses being a part of a new breach, and it allows you to get the head of the hackers, but by the time they've used it for spam or anything else, 
And it's a wonderful service and it's nearly crucial that people should subscribe to that to be aware of any future breaches in the, in the future. That is a fantastic, fantastic takeaway. We'll get that in the show notes, guys. That is a free tool and everyone can use that. So thank you, Kevin. That is that is really, really useful. We'll check that right out. We will get it in the show notes. Kevin, thank you so much. That has been such a pleasure. You're welcome, Mark. Thank you. Guys, thank you for listening. And don't forget, as I mentioned, everything that myself and Kevin have spoken about will be available at excellence-expected. And whilst you're over there, don't forget you can pick up your free copy of the essential 14-day guide to cutting your working hours and increasing your impact. That has helped in the last year over 1,000 people get their lives back and not work so much. So please check it out, guys. Please check it out. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget, the more you expect from yourself, the more you will excel. Adios. Adios.